desire. Um, sometimes we um, don't know what to do, how to do it, and sometimes we just allow things in this world to keep us from doing it. And so right now we, we ask you to put those things aside um, as we get into your word, um, that you will speak to us uh, through your word, and that your spirit will rest upon us so that we may to hear you um, and to learn from you and glorify you. And praise in your son's name. Amen. So uh, we began this series uh, about three weeks ago, and uh, Jimmy and Claudia kicked it off talking about all in and um, uh, left us off with the cliffhanger of the young man um, on the edge of the diving board, uh, whether he could jump or not jump, and um, left that to me last week to talk about, and we learned uh, real quickly that uh, that five-letter word was trust. I know some of you thought it was going to be faith, sorry to disappoint you, but it was trust, and um, from that, I tried to lay the groundwork of the importance of trust, and particularly trusting in the Lord and being people worthy of trust. And I left off last week talking a little bit about how hard it was, it is to gain people's trust, to be somebody worthy of trust, and how easy it is to lose that trust. And then we're going to spend this next couple weeks talking about, okay, so what can we do to be people worthy of trust? And the first characteristic of those areas is character. So of the trust rules, we're going to look at character today. We're going to jump right into character. Billy Graham says, The grace of legacy one can pass to one's children and grandchildren is not money or material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. Albert Einstein said, Most people say that it is intellect which makes a great scientist. They're wrong. It is character. Andy Stanley, I love how he defines character. Your character is the internal script that will determine your response to failure, success, mistreatment, and pain. Did you get that? Your response to failure. How you respond to success. How you respond to mistreatment. How you respond to pain. It reaches into every facet of your life. It is far more reaching than your talent, your education, your background, or your network of friends. James Lane Allen actually says, adversity does not build character, it reveals it. As a person, a follower of Christ, whose goal is to be a disciple that goes into the world and makes disciples who makes disciples, we have to ask ourselves, are we worthy of being followed? Are we worthy of being followed? And that's what character asks. Are we worthy of being followed? 90% of most of failure in leadership is actually a character flaw. It's something with their poor character. I like how um, Emerson writes. He says, what lies behind us and what lies before us are, not, are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. 
What are you characterized by? What are people, when they say your name, how do they describe you? Now, we all have incidences of, of failure. We, we're human. We fall. We, we make mistakes. But what are we characterized by? How often do we do these things in our life? When people describe who we are, how would they describe us? I, I was really challenged with this when they asked me to talk about character. You know, what, what does that look like? How do you describe that? How do you talk about character? So I asked some principals. Um, I, I surveyed them. I said, could you give me a descriptor? If, if, if I asked you that you said that there was a, a, you knew a leader of good character, how would you define that? What would that look like? And I got some responses, but the one that really struck with me, he said, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Somebody of good character exudes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. I got to tell you, these jars, if, if I don't kick one over today, it'll be amazing. They're on the back of my mind the whole time. I like getting closer, and they're in my way. So um, I'm just, it's going to be a challenge for me not to. Maybe I'll put this right here, and I'll have to stay back. Um, so anyways, let's go on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. You'll learn what they are and what they're for in a minute. But um, So fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We are known by our fruit. You know, uh, an apple tree can't say it wants, to, bear, uh, it wants to, to grow pears. And a pear tree can't say it wants to grow oranges. And an orange tree can't say it wants to grow peaches. You grow what you are. What is inside you, what is what comes out. And they can't just like, oh, please, I want to grow a pear. I want to get an apple, 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 apple. Here's an apple. No. It's a part of a process. It's part of who you are. And there are certain conditions which uh, are out there which actually create better fruit. I'm not really um, somebody who knows a lot about plants, uh, and fruit trees are not on my high list of things that I know a lot about. Um, we did have some trees in our yard, the, the last house we had. We had some apple trees, a pear tree, and peach trees. And, and frankly, um, um, I wasn't necessarily real good at taking care of them, but I learned a lot about peach trees, mostly because, um, unfortunately, I killed a lot of peach trees. I uh, was not real good at that. Um, it's Tim Stahl. It's, uh, Tim Stahl was my go-to. If I had a question, I, it's Tim, hey, how do you take care of this? And so he gave me some advice. But um, I, the Bible uses a, a grapevine quite frequently to talk about the fruit of the, of the vine. And, and, I, and I know even less about that. I've been to one vineyard my whole life. Everything that I know is stuff that I've read about. Um, so I'm going to use the example of a peach tree. Um, hopefully not that I'm going to kill you with this, um, but the idea of, of what, what it looks like to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the first questions we have to ask when we think about um, a, a planting or, or growing a, a fruit tree, particular peach trees, where is it planted? Where's the soil? We know, and I'm not much about plants in general, but I do know that the soil is extremely important. And depending on the soil will determine how well a plant will grow and whether it will produce the, the, the fruit or the flower that it was intended to produce. And if it's a poor soil, there's a good chance that it will produce very little or actually die. So my question for us is, where are we planted? Where are we planted? 
1 Corinthians 15, 33. You may have heard this quoted multiple times. Do not be misled. Bad character corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company. This is the one that the, the parents always give their teenage kid. Hey, be careful who you hang out with because bad company corrupts good character. Youth ministers throw it out there all the time. But really, in reality, who are we hanging out with? Who are we spending our time with? This is not just about teenagers. If we're talking about our fertile soul, where are we planted? Who surrounds us? Who are our confidants? Who do we talk to? You know, Dave Ramsey, since I were doing, a, pl uh, doing a, a plan with him in Wednesdays, I thought it'd be a good quote to throw in there. He tells us, look around at who you spend your time with. You become who you hang around. Choose carefully. You become who you hang around. Choose carefully. Who are you spending your time with? You say, Eric, but I thought we were supposed to go into the world and, and, and make disciples. How are we supposed to do that if we don't hang out with them? You, you know Jesus. He hung out with them. He hung out with the prostitutes. He hung out with the liars. He hung out with the dregs of society. Aren't we supposed to do that? And I would say, yes, you are. And then they might come back and say, well, you know, if Jesus were alive today, wouldn't he be doing the same? Would he not be in places where a lot of us don't go? He'd be places hanging out with prostitutes and other sinners? You're right. He very much would be. But what we sometimes forget to look at, who he spent 24 hours a day with. He was surrounded by 12 godly men. He did not go into these places alone. Twelve godly men. And if he wasn't with those twelve godly men, he was with three out of those twelve. They were Peter, James, and John, which you hear him going off quite frequently with them. And where was he sometimes going off to? To pray. To put himself in a position to have fertile soil so that he could go into the world and not be of the world. In fact, his very prayer for his disciples in John 17, 15 through 16 says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. You've heard the saying, we are not of the world, but we are in the world. But too often, what happens is we don't surround ourselves with that good soil, so when we get in the world, we become of the world. And the fruit that we're producing becomes less and less to sometimes non-existence. And you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Our character is no different. Where are we planted? What are we, you know, not just who we're with, but what do we do? What do we spend our time in? Where do we spend our money? Where do we, what do we listen to? What do we watch? What do we, what are we um, are consuming in our lives? What are we doing for our soil? What are we doing to make that fertile so that we can produce good fruit? Next thing, are you being trimmed? I learned real quickly um, with trees and plants in general that if there's a, a dead branch, you need to get rid of it. Because if you don't, insects and disease has now has a, has a method to get into the rest of the plant to destroy the plant. So you've got to cut it off and get rid of it. The other thing is if you see one of your branches is diseased before it has died, you either got to figure out how to heal that or you just got to cut it off and get rid of it. There are things in our lives that without much question, that if I were to ask you to write down one thing in your life that you know that God is calling you to get rid of, that we could do. It doesn't take this big mirror. It doesn't take a lot of time on our knees. We know there's things in our life that God has called us to trim from it. 
to get rid of in our lives? The hard thing is to actually do it. We know it. It's just hard to do it. But the other aspect of, of, of the peach tree, which um, I learned um, the hard way, is, is, is when we first started getting peaches, they were all these little tiny ones, and the place was just filled. I was so excited we're going to have peaches. But they never got any bigger than this. They stayed small the whole entire time, and eventually they got brown and rotted and fell off. And I'm like, hello, where's the fruit? Next year, same thing happened. So I was having a conversation with Tim. He said, you need to start picking those things off as soon as they start coming. You got you to prune those, the, other fruit, the other fruit off if you want to have good fruit. You got to get rid of some of the other fruit so that all the nutrients can start to go to that one fruit. What he didn't tell me was the next thing. That sometimes those fruit get so big and so juicy that you get this. A broken limb. That is not my tree, but it very much could be my tree because that's exactly what happened. We had some great fruit and it weighed so much it broke the limb. And unless you support that limb or you remove some of that, the fruit, that's exactly what will happen to your peach tree. The limb will break. There are things that are very good in our lives. Maybe not very good, maybe they are very good. But they need to be trimmed. Because they're taking away nutrients and keeping us from having great fruit. Not grape, great fruit. And for each of us, it's different. And this is the one that's a little more of a challenge because it's good. And we can argue for it. It's actually probably helped us in life. But at some point, sometimes we need to get rid of it anyways. And maybe not completely. It's just some things that we need to do. You know, I, I got to tell you, um, as a confession, um, I'm a phonaholic. What's that mean is my phone is always on me, okay? I don't know about you, but if I'm in line at Kroger or at Walmart, the first thing I do, pull out my phone. And I, I just start scrolling through, and I, sometimes I don't even know what I'm looking at. I'm just wasting time. It, this may only be me that it's happened to, so this just tells you the level where I'm at. You ever have a phantom ring? The phone's not even on me. It's sitting at my desk in the office. I'm walking around the building, and all of a sudden, I, I feel it ringing. And I go like this, and there's no phone there. You know, the phone's done a lot for me and helped me with my job and other things in my personal life and organization. And, you know, I've got every app for every restaurant, so I'm on every reward system, so I'm getting free food all the time from doing that. It, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It is good. But there's a time and a place for it that sometimes maybe I need to trim that for my life and it needs to be set aside and put away. There's other areas in our lives that many of us have, and those are the times we need to talk to the Lord. What is it that I need to trim for my life that is good but needs to be trimmed? John 14, 1 through 2 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while each branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. What do we need to prune so that we can produce good fruit that produces good character so that we can lead people to Christ? Finally, what do you thirst for? You know, we know plants need water. 
and we could see we've kind of been in drought and what happens to trees when they're not getting the water that they need, the leaves start to dry up. You know, I know it's fall, but some of them have dried up before their time. Um, but we also know that for fruit trees, that, that's where the, the juice comes from. A lot of it comes from that water and they need plenty of water to, so we can have good fruit, juicy fruit. And so what, what, do, what do we strive for? What do we thirst for? What are we thirst? John 4, 10 through 14 says, Jesus answered her. This is he's talking to the woman at the well. If you knew the gift of God and who would ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given it you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, well, yes, I am. I'm greater than him. Well, he didn't. He probably could. He could have easily answered that that way. But he answers with another statement. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Are we thirsting for that kind of water? Or are there other priorities in our life that we are thirsting for that are taking our time and our energy? And draining us from the real water that we need. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said even more. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What are we thirsting for? What are we pursuing? What are we, what are we taking our time out to do? Life is crazy busy. And we have stress. I talked about that last week. But we have stressors in our life all, from, from all the time. Things going on in our lives, and each of us is different. And right now, things might be pretty good for you right here, but I guarantee at some point soon, there's going to be stressors. You know, it seems like, well, they, they say it comes in threes, you know, your washer machine breaks down, then your refrigerator breaks down, then your car breaks down. You know, it, just life. How am I going to pay these bills? Where, you know, is my job going to be there? I need a new job. At work, my boss is, is, is putting a lot of pressure on me to, to be able to be successful and to do these things. And I got these people just wanting things from the church, wanting things from my work, wanting things from home. And it's just stress. Anxiety begins. And we know scientifically, we, we understand that there's, there's things, the chemicals in our body that are now produced because of the stress and anxiety, which actually are harmful to our body. And then we have physical ailments, which creates more stress because we're stressed about the physical ailments that we have. I had a counselor tell me a story of a young lady who walked into her office, and you could just see the gloom in her, in her face, and she said, I'm stressed. I have no joy, no hope. So she immediately stopped what she'd do, and they prayed with each other and said, let's get back together. We need to talk. So they set a time to talk. The next time the lady walked in, it was, she was a totally different person. There was like life in her eyes. There was, there was a glow in her face. There was a pep in her step. Her shoulders were up. There was almost an excitement to, to who she was. And the cause of what happened? She said, my, my granddad took me down to a creek and he grabbed a, uh, a mason jar and we were sitting there, and he, he dipped into the water. And when he dipped into the water, he set this down between us. And as we sat there, he just whispered, The stiller you are, the clearer you see. 
The stiller you are, the clearer you see. And the water began to, to stop moving and all the stuff kind of fell to the bottom. And she knew what he's talking about. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. Be still. Be still. The stiller you are, the clearer you see. See, Dallas Willard was asked, how can I help people grow closer to Jesus? His immediate response, you must arrange your life so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in everyday life with God. Interesting in this statement. He doesn't tell them what to do for other people. He says you must arrange your life. You must arrange your life so that you are experiencing deep commitment, joy, confidence in every day. That's being still before the Lord every day. That means arranging your life. The world will not arrange your schedule so that you can be still with God. In fact, Satan will do just the opposite. He will keep you as busy with some very good things so that you never spend time with God. Maybe a quick hello, thank you for this food. But unless you arrange your time to be still with God, you will not experience God. You'll see and hear in different things, but you will never truly experience God until you are still with God. And I know, I know young parents, it is such a, it's a challenge. You've got you, you, the battle to get the kids up out of bed and to get them ready for, for preschool or kindergarten or, or, or whatever it may be, getting them ready for school and trying to get them to eat their, their breakfast without making a mess and getting them all cleaned up, getting them to school on time and then picking them up afterwards and taking them wherever they need to go. You get home and then you're trying to figure out what we're going to do for dinner, we fix the dinner, and then we got to clean up dinner, and then we got to clean up the kids, and we got to get them to bed, and I'm ready for bed. I, I, I get it, okay? And those of us that are not in that stage of life, we just fill our time with other things as well, and things keep getting busy and busy, busy. You, you ever hear yourself, I can't wait till next week because it's going to slow down, and then you get to next week, and it's like, and it didn't slow down. It's just as busy as it was last week. Wait till next month. Oh, all the sports are over. Everything's good. And the next thing comes along, you're like, where did that month go? We have to arrange our time to be still with God. Young parents, as a couple, you've got to support each other in that. You've got to help each other have time. And I'm not talking half hours or an hour. I'm talking start out with minimal time, a couple minutes, five minutes, being still with God. Letting all the distractions, putting the phone in a different room, not letting any kids in any place, not having the TV on, not having um, uh, uh, phone calls or the internet or um, whatever it may be. Whether it's a time to, to walk outside and enjoy God's nature, sit on a swing and do it, or get in the closet where nobody can get to you and just be still and know that he is God. This week, all these jars are up for you to grab. And I encourage you, take it, shake it up in your moment of being still. And remember, be still and know that you are God. The stiller I am, the clearer I see. And as you get to that point, ask God those three questions that we talked about. God, where am I planted? 
Where am I planted? God, are there things in my life I need to trim? Lord, what am I thirsty for in my life? God loves us. God loves us. You know, I think sometimes we get this vision of this mean old man up there whose idea was to get us in his family so that he could just beat us and punish us into submission and, and doing the right thing and be good people. And that's not what it's about. Yes, we, we are, are spending time with him and exhibiting good fruit so that what we can do is share God's word with others so they can also enjoy a life where we have a God who is nice and likes us. He loves us. He desires to be with us. The fruit of the Spirit comes from Him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This is who He is. He is kind. He loves us. He is patient with us. He shows mercies to us every single day. He loves us so much, He wants us to be part of His family so that we can experience that. And if you haven't, this is an opportunity where you can talk to any of us about what, that mean, what does that mean to be part of the family. But for those of us who are part of His family, This is a time we can be still and know that he is God. We can celebrate what he has done to make us part of his family. Where he died, was buried, and resurrected to take on our sins so that we could be part of his family. We're going to celebrate that. In addition to that, at some point in the service, I encourage you to pick up. These jars are for you. And if you don't get up here during the service, you can pick up after. Take one of these jars home with you. And set it next to, to where you're being still with God. But this is our time. To be still and know that he is God. He loves each and every one of us.